Today's scripture comes from the book of Proverbs 5, 1 through 6, 12, 4, 18, 22, 31, 10 through, 20, 10 through 12. My son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, and her steps follow the path of Shoal. She does not ponder the path of life, her ways wander, and she does not know it. Proverbs 12, 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. Proverbs 18, 22. He who finds a wife, he, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 31, 10 through 12. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's get into today's word. Last week, last week we had a tough message. It was um, part three of this series. And we're talking about a difficult subject matter because we are encroaching onto the issue that's a really such a big deal in our society, which is about you know gender identity and homosexuality and bisexuality. And if there's anything you want that I want you to remember for last week's message, which is that sexual desire is not higher than friendship. That's kind of the thing that's so big in our culture right now. There's an idolatry to think that if you can't have be fulfilled sexually, then you can't be happy. But that is not what the Bible says. It's actually, it's actually quite the opposite. Sexual desire is good when it comes to its proper place. We'll talk a little bit about that in today's message. But right now, it's just being unleashed in so many different ways. And this, we have really power, profound sexual chaos in our culture with very unbiblical ideas of idol, I mean, identity and it is really going, the, our young people who believe in these I ideologies are going to deeply pay with profound loneliness and very, very broken lives. And so I know there's people in our culture who don't really want to hear that message. But um, we have to find ways of living in that in ways that are humble and confident, yet gentle and loving. And I hope that we will receive that um, from last week. Today's message is kind of a next step from what I talked about last week. And this is the kind of message I would have probably preached more about, I don't know, 25 or 30 years ago. If we're, when you're talking about friendship, and you have to talk about this issue of like sex and friendship. All right? Uh, my, my daughters were talking about uh, this movie called uh, When Harry Met Sally. <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the, the movie, it's a, it's, a, it's a hit movie from the 80s. It's wrestling with this question, can men and women be friends? Doesn't the sex just get, always get in the way? And there's a lot of truth in that movie. If you're always putting sex into the relationship, the friendship, there's a problem there. Okay, And that's really kind of what we're wrestling with. And if you, this is a series about friendship, but how do you talk about friendship if you don't actually have some wisdom and thinking something about the sexual aspect of it. 
And last week, I really just talked about one profound way that everything is getting sexualized and that's really screwing up a lot of the friendship that's really, really needed in our culture, okay? So let's get into this message. Um, and I don't usually do this, but I want to give you some, some fatherly wisdom <laughs> in this uh, message, okay? Um, so not that I'm super wise, but I think I've learned a few things because I live, well, I'm a little bit, been around for a while, but I've lived and seen a little something about living in a biblical worldview, okay? So let's get this. Part one, the wisdom and power of biblical marriage. The wisdom and power of biblical marriage. Today we have a vision of marriage. It's not biblical, all right? But I want to just say a little something about that from these passages. Part two, some fatherly counsel built on God's wisdom. So I'd like to offer you a little bit of advice in a kind of kind fatherly way. I hope you take it as a kind fatherly way, right? And um, part three, overflowing love with eternal friends from Christ. Overflowing love with eternal Forever friends from Jesus Christ, okay? So let's do part one. Um, let, let me offer just some wisdom. Let's just go straight to the Bible here first. Of course, you should always get it from the Bible. You know, there's this verse, which is kind of the, the key verse of this series, and that's Proverbs 18.24. You should kind of know this by now. It goes like this. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And last week, I, t I told you that one layer of meaning of that verse is that the friend who sticks closer than a brother is a wife or your spouse. It's clearly a reference to the completion of sexual love, which happens in marriage. And so let's look at uh, some other places in Proverbs that also gives commentary. I don't know if you know this, for if you've never read through the book of Proverbs, you might be surprised to find what's in there. And one of the things that's in there is there's a lot of talk about sex and marriage. It's actually strange. <laughs> and, you know, we're like, okay, well, I want wisdom. I want to know what's smart. I want to know what's, what's good. Actually, you can't believe that there's not a small amount of content about sex and marriage. So let's just, just go out for the first one. Proverbs 5. There's more passages like this, but I just want to just give you a little taste of this, okay? Proverbs 5, verses 1 through 6. So the book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom, and anybody can benefit from it. But one of the things I just want to let you know is it's actually a book about a father speaking to a son. It's a dad-to-son conversation. That's the way the book is. And so when you open this up, it's about a father talking to his son. And this is how he says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. And then here's what it says, verse 3. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood Sharp as a two-edged sword, her feet go down to death, death. Her path, her steps follow the path to Sheol. Sheol is the place of death, or some people like to say hell. 
her steps follow the path to hell. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. So, let me just say this a little bit simply. Don't sleep around. Okay? There's lots of women around there. She's forbidden to you. This is about sex, okay? If you want to get out there, you have sexual desires, and there's a woman's like, yeah, you know, she's going to use her lips to say, yeah, you can go to bed with me. And, you know, just for sake of time, I didn't get into other portions of the chapter. It's super explicit. She's talking about come into my bed, all this kind of stuff, all right? So now most of you know, you know even if you're not a Christian, that Christianity, the Bible, has a, has a much stricter sexual ethic than our culture does. Our culture has like, it's not, I don't know what the sexual ethics of our culture, is there an ethic? The ethic is you can sleep with whoever you want, one, as long as it's not a child, and two, as long as there's consent. You want to sleep with a lot of people, you want to sleep with multiple people at the same time. If you're a guy, you want to sleep with a guy, you're a woman, you want to sleep with a woman, it's all good. That's our culture's sexual ethic. The Bible is, no way, okay? The Bible is, I told you last week, the Bible is very celebratory of sexual desire, but it has a place. And that place, you'll be profoundly blessed by it, and that's why I read that portion out of Song of Solomon. The Bible celebrates where sexual desire comes to its consummation and its blessedness, that's marriage. Okay? So, there, there, is a, there are these women, we're talking, okay, he's talking to a man, and you obviously if you're a, you know, a, a, a woman, you can flip it around. But today, you know, like you're a woman, there are forbidden women, okay? Because if she wants to sleep with you, well, daughters of God, she's a forbidden woman. This text applies to that too. And guys, if there's a man and he wants to sleep with you, well, he's a forbidden man, too. This text applies to that, too. Okay? So just first and foremost, you want, if we're just talking about the subject of friendships, um, this didn't really, this wasn't a thing when I, was, when I was younger. When I was in college, my secular, unbelieving friends would have thought hookups were disgusting. I mean, if you even suggested that idea, they would have thought it was gross. Okay, but today we have this thing called friends with benefits, and I, this was about ten years ago. About ten years ago, there was this young woman. Um, she was in college at the time. She was at, she was going to Brown, which was an Ivy League school. Smart gal, and I asked her. She had grown up in church. She wasn't following Jesus. I turned to her and I said. You know, I said, hey, is this real? <laughs> I'm reading this thing about hookups, friends with benefits. And is that a real thing? Is that happening at your school? And she started squirming. And she was like, yeah, pastor, it's real. <laughs> and I just sat there and I just went, that's really gross. Right? And that makes me feel really, really sad for all your classmates. And it's not because I'm trying to be judgmental or hateful. It's actually because I have great compassion. Because, because of this. If you go down, you're going to go down a path toward death, toward hell. 
because you become so profoundly lonely because if you sexualize everything, you're really cursing yourself. You're supposed to have a friend. Okay, you're, let's, say, okay, let's say you're a gal. You're supposed to have a friend. She's only supposed to be a friend, okay? You have a, a best friend. She's your girlfriend. A girlfriend is supposed to be your best friend, not a set potential sexual partner. But if you don't know that because you're not sure what your sexuality is and she starts suggesting we could be friends with benefits and then you start thinking like maybe my girlfriends I need to be pretty for them maybe I need to be slim enough for them maybe I need to be sexually attractive to them and then all that stuff that women normally have with men Am I skinny enough? Am I shapely enough? My hair good looking enough? Is he going to like me? Because whenever you meet someone and they're a potential sexual person, you know, a sexual partner to you, a sexual lover to you, then all of a sudden all your, like, your womanhood like insecurities just flame up. And of course for, for guys, that's how it is too. I, I, I remember this. <laughs> I was 10 years old. And girls were totally uninteresting. And then I was 11 years old, and girls became really interesting. <laughs> and suddenly, most of the girls were not interesting to me, but the one that I thought was pretty, man, I got really nervous to talk to her. Even though it was weird. First half of the year, she talked to me, I talked to her, no big deal. The reason she talked to me is because I was good at math. <laughs> okay? And she was actually pretty smart, but she wasn't as good at me. So she talked to the nerd in this class. That was me. <laughs> and I would help her with math. And then in the second half of the year, it was really like, I'm, it was really nerve-wracking to talk to her. <laughs> because now, I wasn't just talking to a friend. Just that thing all my deeper insecurity, my ego, my manhood, are you going to like me? Are you going to accept me? That was at stake. See? Now, what if that's going on to everybody? <laughs> or potentially to everybody? That's what's happening today. And one of the great blessings of what the Bible teaches is, don't do that! <laughs> In fact, all these women out there, they're not potential sexual partners. In fact, you know what they are? They're all just friends. They're potential friends. There's only one potential sexual partner. That's your wife. <laughs> That's your wife. Your wife, she will take off her clothes for you. You will take off your clothes for her. It'll be a really exciting moment. Okay? But to nobody else, no. Everybody else is a friend. And then, so there's a pathway to get to that person. You should focus on that. And everybody else, friend. That's a beautiful thing. That's the Bible's wisdom. It's great. It's absolutely great. If you don't have that, if you don't believe in Jesus, and you hate that stuff I said last week, I hope you'll listen to this part. If you have this, you have great power and wisdom in your life. In fact, you have a pathway so that all that crazy, like, super insecurity all the time that's going on all the time can finally shut up. 
It's great. I mean, like, I basically spent all my teenage years super inflamed with insecurity. And then when I was about 20, I basically decided that all the women I meet, I wasn't going to think about, do I like her? Is she pretty? Will she like me? I, I decided, no, God is going to pick my wife. And I'm going to, like, walk toward, like, marriage by faith, not by however I can impress this girl. And you know what happened? It was crazy. Over the next year, all that insecurity, because I decided to rest in the wisdom of God, you know what happened? I started getting really, really secure. If the woman wasn't attractive to me, I'd treat her with great love and kindness, like a brother. If the woman was very attractive to me, I said, <laughs> try to pretend she's not attractive. <laughs> and it's not about you. It's about blessing her. And Jesus, he sees you. <laughs> so be God's son and live in Christ. Treat every woman like this. It was hard at first. But once I started doing this, it was unbelievably liberating. It was unbelievably liberating. It was incredible. And then it got really weird. About a year or so later, I started finding out that women were attracted to me. <laughs> that I was like, wow, that's really weird. <laughs> that's really weird. When you stop caring about them being attracted to you, suddenly they're attracted to you. That's really, really weird. <laughs> and then you have to be like, sorry, there's only going to be one. She's going to be my wife. Faith. Incredible. All right? Just a couple other verses here. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. But she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. So I got a relative. And he told me that he was, you know, like living with his girlfriend. He doesn't believe in Jesus. And then he broke up with her. And I said, why'd you break up with her? And he was like, yeah. And I was suggesting maybe you're the one who's selfish. And he starts talking about how she drinks a lot, blows a lot of money, talks to other guys, makes him feel super insecure, drives him completely insane. She who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. And then I start feeling compassion for him. And then I start thinking, man, you're, you're my relative and you don't have Jesus but dude, you are so lost. You have no clue how to find a crown of your life, a really good wife, do you? That's why we're talking about this series. And so some of you who are married, you're like, Pastor, I'm already married. It's not that interesting to me. The series is not that interesting to me. If you're what you're talking about today, I hope you don't think that. Because look around. Look around at your coworkers. Look at the kids. And then, like, if your kids are little, do you think they're going to have wisdom about the sexuality thing and the friendship thing? So do you think they're going to know how to find a godly, wonderful woman or man who could be a really good boyfriend and a potential wife or husband? Those are really strong words. A good wife is the crown of her husband. The crown. It's not like he's got a little jewel here and it's, it, it, it blings a little bit. Boom. It's 
his crown. <laughs> because you can see, you can see that he's a rich person. And let me tell you something. Any man who has a really good wife, the other dudes are like, dude, I have money, but my wife's, but my wife, I hate my wife and she hates me. Or we're divorced and she hates me. She ruined my life. This guy doesn't have a lot of money, but he has a crown. <laughs> they don't say it exactly like that. But that's what they mean. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from Yahweh. So, here's the wisdom point. You should go seek a wife. Not a girlfriend, not somebody to live with, not somebody to, you know, just whatever. Not a fantasy woman on porn. Okay? Seek a wife. And let me just offer a little bit of advice about that right now. That means you should try to be husband-worthy material. <laughs> and a lot of dudes, you're not, okay? <laughs> There's like most of the dudes, not. Okay? So, if you're going to seek a wife, you should learn what it means to be husband-worthy man. Okay? And then, the Lord, you'll get the favor of the Lord. That's crazy, but that's what it says in the Bible. Okay, one more. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. I told you, it's not the little bling-blingy thing here. <laughs> it's a crown. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. That's why you want to get married. She's locked in. <laughs> okay? So like, like recently I, I, I acted like a jerk to my wife and I hurt her feelings. I won't go into the details, but it happens every now and then. Okay? I mean... Hello, you know, like, it's not super godliness up here all the time, okay? Right? And so, this happens, and, but she's locked in. <laughs> From God! <laughs> all the years of my life, she's promised to do me good. And boy, she's good at that. I'm so grateful. It's from God. It's so great. And the Lord is always in her, offering this blessedness to me and to our kids, and even to you. <laughs> even to you, okay? All of you are members of my church. And so, if you ever see me start to get really, like, bent out of shape, <laughs> you're like, what's wrong with him? <laughs> Why is he, like, not his usual, more loving self? Probably... I don't know, my, my, my marriage might be going south, okay? But usually I can have joy because my wife has blessed me all of my life. It's the favor of the Lord. It's great. Let's go to part two. I've already given you a little bit of advice. Let's try, let me offer some other stuff, okay? So, um, I'll, this one isn't really ultimately for me, but I really want, I thought it was worth it. I was listening to, you know, prepping for this message. I'll, go, I'll listen to something from Tim and Kathy Keller. They'll have something good to say. So let's crib from Tim and Kathy Keller. So this is Kathy Keller. Tim Keller, one of like, he's really one of the fine pastors of our times. This is what his wife said. 
So she said, there's a lot of young people today who think living together is a good preparation for marriage. That's a really bad idea. It's a really bad idea. Why? So this is her wisdom. She's right on. Because if you live together, some people go, okay, I like you. We go on a number of dates. Okay, we go on more dates. Okay, now let's be together even more. How about we live together because we're afraid to have that tie the knot, you know, till death do us part, that thing. So many young people today are so afraid. So then let's say let's live together because then we'll find that if we're compatible. And if it doesn't work out, we'll, you know, we'll have an escape hatch. That's actually the problem. Kathy Keller says, in your mind, you always have an escape hatch. The point of marriage is to not have an escape hatch <laughs> so that when it gets bad, you can repent of your sins and depend on Christ. And you can find out that no matter how much you stink and how much your spouse stinks, there's hope. Now look, there is such a thing as biblical divorce. And sometimes when somebody is so horrible, it's like, like to me, divorce is like cutting off your arm. You know, if you have cancer, we have to take parts of you out. And that's what divorce is. When you're married to somebody, you become one flesh. And if the person is like, you're dying, 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 at some point, maybe this is the only way you could survive. Okay? But the normal thing is, God always gives you hope. So you have to practice walking with this person with that, not thinking if you have the wisdom to know when you're going to hit the escape hatch. That's what Kathy Keller says. So that's the first part I want to offer you. Here's the second one. Right now, I know some of you want to get married. Some of you are like, okay, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get married. Or like, I think I'm gay, so like, well, today gay people, gay guys think they're going to get married, okay? But that's not really the way God designed marriage, a biblical marriage, a man and a woman. And so there's something special across the sexes. And really what it does is it mirrors, it mirrors, it's like an image of the way God, because God is special and mysteriously other and different than us. And then when you marry somebody, it's supposed to be a, a, a mirror of what the gospel is like. So that's what's the point. That's why a man can't marry a man or a woman can't marry a woman. So you're meeting someone who's mysteriously different than you. And man, I'm telling you, I'm going on 24 years of marriage and, the, and the, let me tell you, the mystery of the womanhood has not, I have not gotten to the end of that, okay? It's like, I still don't really understand my wife. <laughs> but it's a beautiful thing when someone who is truly different than complementary to you loves you, but they love you with this sense that, that really that your, bro, your sinfulness is being met by grace and mercy. The other is meeting you. See, that's what salvation really is. God is other and mysteriously different. He comes into the depths of who you are, which means, of course, the bad stuff too. 
And he says, I love you here. That's what marriage is for. Someone who's mysteriously, oddly different than you goes into the deepest part of you. That's what sex actually is. It's a, it's a physical picture of someone entering into a body, but the, that picture of entering into the body is actually a metaphor for entering into the deepest part of your soul. And that marriage is so intimate that you enter into who they really, really are, and then you find out, yeah, <laughs> that's there. <laughs> and then, that's when they have to bear your sin, forgive you, reconcile with you, and continue to love you in who you are. That's glorious. See, that's like, that's the gospel. So with that said, Here's what marriage is for. Marriage is not for you to find your perfect soulmate who's got the perfect body, for, body structure for you and you're just going to have this great electric sex for the rest of your life and everything's going to be so great and you never have to do any work because he just gets you. She just gets you. She's just always just super right for you, right? No. <laughs> the right expectation is you're going to find out how messed up she is She's going to find out how messed up you are. And now it's time to believe in the gospel. It's now time to love each other the way Christ loves you. So marriage is not for our fantasy. Marriage is not for en enacting our selfish fantasy. Marriage is for you to be loved far better than you ever thought far more than you ever deserved. And now for you to learn how to love somebody, and here we go, learn how to be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Learn how to be a friend who is glued to someone who is mysteriously different than you and enter into their deepest part of their soul and their heart and to be stick closer than even a family member and love them unto, like, unto even the way you feel like you're dying, the way Jesus has done for you. Now let me ask you this. If you're afraid of marriage, because this is hard, obviously, what I want to say to you is, look at what the Bible says. A good woman, a good wife, is a wonderful gift of God. But it's not a gift because it inflames all your, you know, your, your selfishness, for your, 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 like, your, your like romantic fantasies is a gift because you will now know of a love that's far bigger, of a friendship that's far deeper than you ever thought there could be. Okay? So first of all, let's not have like these crazy like fantasy visions of marriage and so we're afraid of marriage. Or we got to have marriage, got to have marriage. One of the things I really want to say to you is you could be a flawed person. You don't have to have a perfect body. And please don't go looking for somebody like that. You should look for a real husband, a real wife. And the kind of person you're looking for is the person who will say, I want to love you in Christ. I want to love you with the gospel. I want to taste gospel love and grow that way. I want to be glued to you and stick fast to you as a friend. 
And yes, we'll have some sex and hopefully it'll be good. But I'll be a friend when it's hard. When we're going through hard times. That's marriage, okay? Okay, let's see some other stuff. Um, You should try to date in community. Okay, first of all, if you're not dating, but you want to get married, you should date. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so, you're, I'm afraid, Pastor, there's nobody out there. I'm, okay, there, there's, okay. Why don't you ask the Lord first? Why don't you ask the Lord first? Maybe the Lord will give you a husband or a wife. Now, let me say this other thing, too. If you really are not feeling lonely and you don't feel like you need a husband or a wife, good for you. Good for you. You want to be single for the rest of your life and you're like, I'm, I'm good. Good. It's, it's good. Most people can't do it. <laughs> Most people can't do it. You know, it says in the Bible, it's not good for Adam to be alone. It's not good for a man to be alone. And then he gave a very, very special friend his wife. Most people are like that. So if you're in your 20s or in your 30s or in your 40s or in your 50s and you're single and you feel kind of miserable and you feel insecure and you feel kind of like restless all the time, you know what that is? You're lonely. And it's okay to admit it. There's nothing wrong with you. There's utterly nothing wrong with you. And it's okay to say, Lord, I need a husband. I need a wife. I have met people who got married for the first time in their 40s. <laughs> I met a woman who got married for the first time in her early 50s. In her early 50s. And um, then she told me how it happened and I met her husband. I mean, she wasn't the best-looking woman, and he wasn't the best-looking dude. They had a wonderful marriage. They had a lot better marriage than all the pretty people, all the people who got married in some romantic way, and the way they met wasn't, like, so romantic. It was wonderful. And they had many. I think they had, um, let's see, I think they had, about like 17 or 18 beautiful years. Okay? It is not too late. And if you're young and you're like, this is a thing that's on your, you know, you're, you're, you're preoccupied with this thing. So, one, first try to learn how to become a marriage-worthy wife. Be worthy of that or a marriage-worthy man, a husband. And then two, ask the Lord and grow in that. And then let your friends know. Don't be embarrassed. And if you don't have that issue, wonderful. I just met a pastor at, he's actually a bishop. I just came back from Native American Reservation. I was kind of stunned when I found out that the senior pastor of Calvary Baptist Church is a man in his mid-40s, and he's single. I was like, you're single? <laughs> and he turned out to be single. And he's like, yeah, I'm single. You know, he's actually a foster father. So he's still a father. He's a foster father to a, a, a young man on the Native American reservation. And because he's single, he has a lot of time to do a lot of amazing ministry. And it shows in his church. I was like blown away by it. I was thinking, this dude's like, 
he's kind of like a 21st century white American Apostle Paul. <laughs> right? I was like, this is amazing. He's a football coach. <laughs> he's a foster father. He's really missional. He pastors a whole church and is like fatherly to a, like the largest church in the town of Bishop. Because he's single. It's really good. But most people can't have it, can't do it, and it's okay. Okay? So ask the Lord and follow this seemingly simple advice. Seek friendships. Be an honorable man to other women. Or if you're a woman, be an honorable woman to brothers. Some of them may begin to notice, hey, she's a catch. <laughs> I think my cousin should marry her. <laughs> might notice. Okay? All right. One more piece of advice. Let's go to close my message, okay? How do you have some idea that maybe this person isn't just a possible date or isn't just a girlfriend or a boyfriend, but is a potential spouse? So I'm not this wise. I'm going to go back to Tim Keller. I learned this from his marriage sermon series back in 1991. This is one of the things he says, and I think it's great. It really fits what the Bible says. You're seeking a wife, not just a hot girlfriend, okay, right? And here's what you're looking for in a wife. So you meet a person, and what you're, you're, you meet this, let's say, let's say you're a guy. You meet a woman, you're like, she's pretty enough, <laughs> or at least she's not ugly, and hopefully she won't think I'm ugly, Okay? And you're in, the, you're in the friendship. So maybe you didn't find her especially very fetching at the beginning. But you start having this friendship, and every time you say this thing that you don't think is all that clever, she thinks it's funny. Everything you start talking about the Bible, she's really interested. When you start talking about how you're interested in something that you want to do for Jesus, she's like, that's really cool. That's a good clue. And then you start looking at her going like, maybe she loves Jesus. And you know what you're starting to see in this woman? You're seeing, the, you're seeing the shadow of what Tim Keller calls her glory self. There's a version of her in the future. She's going to be a much more glorious person. She's going to be a much more glorious woman. I mean, her physical features might start to decline. <laughs> By the way, yours will too. Okay, so in 20 years, your hair's less. <laughs> okay, down here, there's more. <laughs> okay, and wrinkles, more. And your wife, all of that's going on. But you know what? Her glory self is more beautiful than ever. Christ in her is more wonderful than ever. You acted like an idiot the other week. And hurt her. But she's still blessing you all of your life. And she's been doing it for the last 15, 20 years. You're looking for the glory self version of a friend of the opposite sex that you want to be friends with for a long time. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for a special friend whose glory self is exciting and wonderful to you. That's what you're looking for. 
That's my dating advice. And all of you are married. Help, help, help our younger brothers and sisters, your single friends. Your single friends, if they look fine and they don't want your help, don't bother them. <laughs> you're just annoying, okay? <laughs> you're annoying. Don't be like, hey, I'm going to sit you up with somebody. Like, just, just, you're annoying. Don't do that, okay? But if you say, I want to help you up, you're like, oh, okay, that means they really wanted your help, okay? <laughs> Pray for them. Help them. Younger than you, same age as you, older than you, help them. It's a great blessing, okay? Okay, let's close this message. We always need, you know, you can listen to this thing from your pastor. Some of you are like one ear out the other. Some of you have been pastored by me a long time. You've heard some version of this before. I'm not sure you're doing the best of this, but you're kind of doing it. Okay, I hope you're kind of doing this. I hope that Revive Church, this sounds really strange. I hope Revive Church will be a place that people will look for a spouse. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Or, and when they do, and they come in here with that stupid meat market attitude, they're like, coming in here looking for like some hottie guy or girl, and everybody else will just look at you like, over time, they'll come into the church like that, and then after being in the church for a few weeks, they'll start getting ashamed. Because they're going to go like, the friendships in this church, I, I, I can't, they can't even say it because it's just strange. They're like, people love each other in this church so more and so well and so deeply and it's not dirty. It's not selfish. It's not filled with all this like, you know, inner insecurity, trying to use other people to fill up your security, inner insecurity. That, that thing that we do because we all have inflamed with sexual lust and sexual desire, and we're always looking at the person to fill up my, my, my inner lack. But I hope people will come into the church, and what they will find is men and women who are seeking Christ-like friendship so deeply, so steadfastly, that they would say, even if I don't find my wife in here, man, i got to be a part of this community. And what in the world is the special sauce of this crazy place? And over time, they're like, I guess it's the Jesus thing. <laughs> it must be that Jesus part. And they never wanted to take the Jesus part seriously. And over time, they start going, man, maybe I need to take the Jesus part seriously. So let me close my message this way. When you and I, when Jesus returns, we're going to be part of a community, a city. And there'll be no more marriage. Why? Because there's one marriage where Jesus is united to his bride. That's us. That's the only marriage there'll be. So you don't have to worry about, like, am I going to be like, I know it's a little weird to me that my, like, my, my wife is suddenly going to become my sister. <laughs> She'll be like, coolest friend. And I'll introduce her to everybody. She's like, this is like, like the, the best, bestest, bestest friend. She was my wife. 
But you know what's going to be? For the rest of our life, we're going to have a friendship that's forever. Friendship that's forever. You will love people. It'll never break. And you know who was the first person who started that? Jesus. Jesus came to earth and said, these guys, they're always like corrupting their friendships and their family and their marriage with sexual lust and pride and their ridiculous fantasy idolatries. And they have no wisdom. But, he says, they need really help. So the Son of God came to offer forever friendship. Friendship where love will never break. So he said, he'll give, I will give them a sexuality far better than they ever knew. And a friendship deeper, bigger, with steadfast love they'll never break. And so in all our friendships is this. You think, okay, he likes basketball, I like basketball. We're going to talk about Steph Curry. We'll be good friends. Six months later, he says something to you, and he really lets you down. You are really angry. And when you think about this friend, F word starts showing up, and you want to punch him in the head. But when you think about your friend, you should think about Jesus. You should think about Jesus. There was a cross, and he was a friend to you. And then you really let him down. You let him down with your greed. You let him down with your lies. You let him down with your lusts. You let him down with your pride. You let him down with your horrible ways in which you were more of an enemy than a real friend. And what you deserved was God to burn you forever. You're not a friend. You're an enemy. I'm going to burn you forever, and I am Lord. That's what you deserve. So get out, never come back. That's what you and I deserved. And now your friend, that's how you feel. <laughs> Some of you, that's how you feel toward your spouse. Some of you, that's how you feel toward your girlfriend. Okay? But what we need is a friendship. Inside is the gospel. <laughs> Jesus says, that's what you deserve, and I'll put that on me, and I'll give you forever friendship instead. I'll forgive you. Let's get it back. And we'll be friends forever. Can you revive church? Can we do forever friendship in this church? Let's do forever friendship. And in your life, more than how well you're career is, or how big your house is, or what college you go to, or what promotion you get. Maybe when we're in the, you know, in the, in the new heavens and the new earth, you'll have a friend that said, you could have thrown me under the bus for that promotion, but you were my friend. And we're gonna, I'm going to love you forever. Can we do that? Because Jesus has done that for us. And if we'll live like that, we'll have fantastic marriages, 
We'll have fantastic families. And we'll have a taste of heaven right inside of our church today. Let's pray. Lord, we're bad at friendships. We're bad at being boyfriends and girlfriends. No idea how to find a wife. There are so many people today. And if anything I said today was stupid and foolhardy, some dumb opinion of Susan, may it be forgotten. But if it's from you, Father, if it's from you, Jesus, the best friend, the first friend, the first friend of heaven, the first friend of the family of God, the first friend, Lord and King, over a revived church, and we live in this. And there'll be sexual wisdom, there'll be wonderful friendships called marriage, and there'll be wonderful friendships called being brothers and sisters in Christ. And there'll be wonderful friendships to our neighbors who don't even know Jesus. And when they come into our orbit, they would say, maybe it's the Jesus thing. Maybe I need Jesus. We pray that that will become, become true in our church. And we know, Lord, because you want that and we ask for that in the name of Jesus, not because we're good, but because you're good, you will say yes. We look forward to that, seeing that happen. We honor you and praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.